Learning how to negotiate is an important skill, and one of the more common types of negotiations that we all go through has to do with job offers. So in this episode, we'll be talking about navigating job offers from the perspective of both the candidate and from the perspective of the organization doing the hiring. Be sure to stick around until minute 32, which is when I will fire Chris and make him negotiate his way back onto the podcast. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right. <laughs> so apparently I got about 30 minutes until I have to, you know, fight for my life or get booted <laughs> off the island. But we're going to talk about job offers, okay? So the deal is everybody has to negotiate something. So much in life is negotiations, where you're going to eat with your kids in tow, you know, what you're going to do. But today we're focusing on job offers, which this is one of the few times in the history of uh, the American Republic and a lot of places where workers actually have a bit of the upper hand on negotiating, right? Right. Well, I assume that you're referring to the status of the labor market at the current moment, right, in terms of there being um, a, a bit of a labor shortage. Many organizations are looking for workers. And whenever that is the case, uh, people who are looking for jobs have a little bit more power. And so today we're going to talk about some of the basic approaches toward negotiation within this context of the job offer. We'll talk about some stages of the negotiation process, and we'll provide some additional guidance for people and for hiring teams. And when I use the phrase hiring teams, I'm referring to the hiring manager and all the people who are involved in crafting these job offers from the organization's side. So let's start with that first piece, which is just some of the basic approaches toward negotiation. And what are we even talking about when we talk about negotiation, Chris? So yeah, let's get a bit of a nerdy definition. So negotiation is a process in which two or more independent individuals discuss and attempt to come to an agreement about their different perspectives. And what I think is interesting there is the idea of people being interdependent. You know, they're not completely independent. The idea is that you have these two different parties that have to have some give and take. There has to be some interplay between those two uh, parties in order for a resolution to be reached. Um, and that's kind of the, the messy nature of most negotiations. Uh, and, you know, I think this is a really important topic for leaders, for hiring managers, for people who are working in organizations and making these decisions and trying to bring the best and brightest onto their teams. But also, it's very important for job candidates. Um, so why don't we start with, you know, why people should even do negotiation around um, job offers? Shouldn't it just be, here's what we will pay you, here's the conditions, and take it or leave it from both sides? Why is that bad? Well, so, I mean, everybody's brains are going to the obvious stuff here at this point. But here's the deal. People don't know how to negotiate or what it even really is. So if somebody says, hey, listen, we're hiring for this job. It pays 70000 a year. Uh, okay. So how much time off do I get? Oh, okay. I was just curious. Where, where do I sign up? That the problem with leaving it transactional on such a surface marker, such as cash, um, time off, is you really don't take the time to explore what's important to the organization, 
And then what's important to me as an individual? Maybe I'm willing to take a lower paid job or a lower amount for this role than what I think it's worth because I'm going to get trained in a new technology stack or something. And that's part of my long-term goals or something like that. So you should negotiate because, not because you get more money. That's where everybody's brain typically goes. Oh, I need to negotiate. I'm going to get more cash. Because you really want to understand the value that the employer sees in that roles in that job. And then you need to understand the value that you find for where you're trying to go in your life. Now, that value might be that, hey, this organization only sees me as a number and a line item on their budget. Hey, man, whatever, it's 60K, you in or not? Oh, I I don't know if I'm really going to be valued here at this organization or if, you know, they're going to want what I have to offer or develop me as I grow. So when you leave stuff at that transactional phase around cash and those kinds of items, you're leaving a lot on the table. And even if you're going to accept the offer as is, you haven't explored what's really going on in that org and your relationship to it. Right. And these situations are almost always a bit unique. I think it's hard to say that, you know, there's that they're all the same because people are different and job candidates come to that experience, that negotiation with all of their own values and thoughts and perceptions about what they want to do with their careers, what they think they're worth, where they want to go, what's important to them. And therefore, uh, you have to have a bit of an open mind for this to go well, either from the perspective of the job candidate or from the hiring organization. Yeah, I mean, you just got to ex- explore that stuff, right? And and there's two main approaches to exploring this, right? We have something called distributive bargaining and integrative bargaining. So Ben, what's distributive bargaining? Right. So this is just a general approach or ways to think about and and kind of go about the process of negotiation. And distributive bargaining is, you know, the zero sum situation where it's a, definitely a win-lose situation. Uh, perhaps it's, you know, it's kind of the classic example of back when there was a lot of bargaining involved with purchasing used cars, right? Every dollar that you don't have to pay for that for that used car is a dollar that that organization, uh, the car dealership is not going to get. And it's kind of a win-lose situation there. Now, sometimes this is necessary, but usually in a job offer situation, and I would argue in a lot of other negotiation, negotiation situations in business and in life, we have more of a situation that lends itself to what we call integrative bargaining. And in those types of situations, this is where, you know, you're trying to come up with the win-win situation here. You know, if I'm hiring somebody, I want them to be excited about coming on board. I want them to stick around. I want them to be happy with what I offered them and what I'm providing in terms of salary and benefits and conditions, all those types of things. And as an employer, I want to be in a situation where, hey, I can afford this person. It's not going to you know, break our payroll uh, and I'm getting what I need from this person. And so having the flexibility to try to figure out what that win-win looks like is usually the approach that I would advocate for in the job offer negotiation. Yeah, we have so much data about how win-win is actually the bigger win for you in the long term, you may, you know, if you beat somebody bloody on the negotiation table, when they aren't in such a bind, 
they, they won't even give you the time of day. You're burning future bridges, bridges you don't know you may not need to cross at another time. Need a good uh, review when you move to the next organization? Nope, not going to happen. Yes, this person worked here from July 11th, 2020 to July 11th, 2021. That's about all you're going to get. And, you know, win-win, it creates the world we want to be in, but ultimately, you win. This is not winner. You know, winner takes all means I may I'm pulling my winnings forward and I'm losing in the long term, generally. Right now, in order for this type of situation to be possible, for there to be a win win outcome, you have to have some flexibility on both sides of the table. Both sides have to be able to uh, make some adjustments, perhaps in what the offer is and what it kind of looks like. It's also one that needs to be built on some trust and respect between the parties. And so, you know, we'll get into this a little bit later, but I would certainly advocate for both job candidates and for hiring teams to, you know, approach these situations in good faith and really be trying to look out not only for your own interests, but be tr being mindful of the interests on the other side. And so having that respect. And then the last piece here is also, you know, the possibility of, of multiple outcomes has to be part of the win-win because once you enter a negotiation like this, if you have this approach, you don't necessarily know right off the bat what the other person, what the other party is necessarily trying to get out of it. You don't know their values because you haven't gone through that process of exchanging information yet and really getting to know their interests and their values and what's important. So if you have kind of you know a, a variety of possible outcomes, that makes this a better uh, pos possibility in terms of your negotiation. Yeah, and then Linz, I want to add to that, and it's not that I disagree. I think all those things are right on, but, you know, needs flexibility or needs multiple outcomes. Sometimes a win is to walk away from the negotiation. That sure. it's, hey, this is a job I'm offering. It pays 65 and it has this and this. What do you think? And then you start talking about it and you're just like, man, like you can have this job if you want, but I don't know if this is the best role for you. Matter of fact, sure. I should call my friend Filson. I think he's hiring right now. You should go over <laughs> to Filson's company, right? So, you know, these are the kinds of things. And what I like about it is overlaid on this kind of perspective is a philosophy of do care for the people around you. Um, and we'll talk about this later, but organizations, but organizations like I have this need. Who can I find on the market? Okay, need filled, next role. And they're just churn and churn and churn and burn. I like to think about it like this. I have this venture that exists in the marketplace. It has a lot to offer. It's doing good things in the world. I'm going to set up my organization to where I can ingest people, make them better, all of us make money together, and then release them out into the world to do awesome things elsewhere. You know, we see this in roles where, hey, I need one legal aid. And this job does not have room for growth because I don't need extra lawyers or something in my organization. But what if the way you ingested that legal aid was such as, hey, listen, we're going to bring you in here. This is your job title. You're going to learn all this stuff. And we anticipate most people, if they really want to move on up, would be in this role for two to three years. And then we write glowing recommendations and even help you find other roles outside the organization. Do you see how different that is? And somebody's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing a two, three-year tour of duty in this org, and then I'm going on to do better things. 
And right, that's what we want. We love capitalism. We're, that means everybody gets to be capitalists. Everybody gets to improve their lot in life. Not how can I set up an offer that traps people and keeps it in a never, <laughs> right? That, that's not taking, that's not a win-win. And the, I want us to make it broader. That perspective of win-win is not just, okay, this is win-win on this job. But I am also concerned with how my employees like move on and up in the world and are able to take care of their families and maybe retire one day. Sure, sure. So let's talk now about some stages of the, the negotiation process. We've talked about you know, different types of approaches towards negotiations, but there are uh, a variety of things that you go through in a good negotiation. And I think it's helpful for both job seekers and for hiring teams to be mindful of these different approaches because, uh, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert, a lot of times steps get skipped. Uh, people don't do some of the early ones and that leads to, I would say, suboptimal outcomes later. So, you know, what's really cool is that negotiation is something that is actually studied, right? <laughs> there, there's a body of knowledge around this. Uh, we, we don't have to just guess here. Um, there's scholars from communication, from uh, organizational behavior who study negotiation a lot. And we know some stuff. Yeah. When I first learned this in grad school, like the official, all the literature around the official studies around negotiations, it blew my mind. I used to enter negotiation like, well, gee, I, you know, I just want a fair deal, but I don't want to get ripped off. And, you know, you ha you come with all this stuff and it's almost like poker. Is he bluffing? What's mm -hmm. in his hand? You know, and then when you learn the process of negotiation, what's powerful about this is you can do this unilaterally. The other side doesn't have to play along or know how negotiations work. You can walk them through the steps because every negotiation goes through this, but sometimes it feels kind of herky-jerky. Uh, okay, we we talked about why we're here. Now, now what? But if you're like, hey, you know, now let's take some time to prepare and then come and talk. What do you think? That person feels like, oh, good. I know I should go prepare and then we'll meet next week. I feel comfortable. And, and we'll talk about some of this stuff. Like, hey, now let's exchange information. You can walk the other party through these concrete steps and everybody feels so good when they know what's next, what's coming along. There's some myths around negotiations that, that can get dispelled. And we'll talk about some of those. But learning these steps will empower you to get through to the other side and create those win-win situations. Well, I'm sure that our listeners are now wondering after that buildup, hey, well, what are the steps? Tell us what the steps are, what the stages are. And the first one is preparation. This is a step that oftentimes gets skipped or gets glossed over. People don't spend enough time here. But in the preparation steps, which I you got to do this step, uh, this should be where you as the, the job seeker or the hiring team, you're trying to figure out, again, we're focusing on that job offer situation, but you're thinking about and trying to figure out what is a good deal in terms of salary, what types of benefits, doing some benchmarking to figure out what it, what is this job worth in the broader market, in your industry? Uh, because if you're off mark there, then you know it, it's really, really going to be tough to justify what you're trying to pay. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many friends I've had that well, how'd you end up in your role? You know, I was just working here, not thinking about anything. And then I got a call from a recruiter, a re ping on LinkedIn. Hey, we'll pay you this much. Oh, shoot. That's like 20 grand more than I'm making. Okay. 
And that was it. They moved in there. And thankfully, it was a good role. I haven't, you know, the two people that I know that this happened to, they ended up in good spots doing good stuff. But wait, money's not the only thing. And people with kids or like are negotiating an elder care situation, they're aware of those broader situations. But maybe you're single just out of grad school. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it, right? So stop. In the preparation phase, it's salary, it's benefit, it's career trajectory. Did you get a hot MBA from an Ivy League and you hate life every day? Maybe you need to pause and rethink your career <laughs> trajectory, right? Just this is a time to pause. Even if you don't go forward with that person's office, uh, uh, with that person's offer, to pause and say, wait, what are the broader things that impact me taking this role? Right. And part of this process is figuring out what your goals are for the negotiation. So from the perspective of the job candidates, you know, that might be, well, my goal is to reach a good deal that includes, you know, something in this salary range, you know, uh, healthcare is kind of this level of importance to me and what that might look like. Uh, maybe certain other benefits as well. You know, I'm at this stage in my life and career, so I'm thinking about uh, my retirement planning, those types of items, as well as thinking about the non-financial aspects of the situation, which have to do perhaps with, well, who would I be working with? What's the team that I'm going to be involved with? Maybe, you know, who am I going to be leading if I'm going to be in charge of folks? Uh, what's the culture like at this organization? Now, I certainly... Uh, would advocate that you try to find those types of things out before you reach the job offer stage, right? So you can step out if you realize, hey, that culture is not what I'm going for. But these should be things that are on your mind as far as uh, you know what you're trying to get out of this. Right. And you know, we talk about lived values and espoused values in organizations all the time. You know, everybody has a, the values of our organization are integrity plastered on their wall. But do they live that every day? And one of the places you can tell if their live values are close to their espouse values is how they conduct the salary negotiations, the role offer negotiation. And so one of your goals should be understanding how they think about tending offers. Sure, sure. So once you've determined some of your goals for the negotiation, now from the employer side, this would probably have to do with what this job looks like, what this person will be doing, uh, as and what kind of benefits we can offer, what we can afford. Um, then you have to figure out your BATNA. And this is uh, something that you would figure out from both sides, but maybe we'll take it from the perspective of the job candidate first. So what is a BATNA? Yes, and it has nothing to do with Batman <laughs> or any of that stuff. So BATNA is stands for it's b-a-t-n-a best alternative to a negotiated agreement right and this is just like hey if, if we don't get to yes on this deal what's going to happen that's kind of the cliff notes right. of what batna is that's right so let's say you're fresh out of grad school or you just got laid off and you need a job you don't currently have a job and you get one job offer, <laughs> you will not have as strong of a BATNA as you would if you are currently happily employed and are entertaining an unsolicited job offer. That's just the, that's just the facts of, of nature here. 
you uh but you know your your bat night is figuring out what will happen if we don't get to yes would i take another job would i you know maybe entertain a different job offer what would i do and being clear about that for yourself as a job candidate uh is a healthy thing to to do is a healthy exercise because it helps you know kind of how you're going to approach this entire thing right you wouldn't want to let's say you know you, rent is due and you have no other job offers and they offer you something that's a little bit less than what you were expecting and they won't budge on it, just walking away from that might not be the best idea given your life circumstances. So you've got to do some soul searching here. You got to do some thinking. And then from the organization's side, you'd also want to think in a similar way about, well, what, what happens if I lose this person? You know, how valuable of a candidate is this person really? How might How hard might it be to find a replacement job candidate for this person? Yeah. So some ways to develop your BATNA, you know, don't just say like, okay, if this doesn't happen, what's going to happen? Think about this a little bit more logically and systematically. So first, make a list of the things you will will have to do or what will happen if no agreement's reached. Well, am I going to have to, you know, pawn my guitars to buy another couple months for a job search? You know, these kinds of things. Right. You know, I'm going to have to sell the house and move to an apartment. You know, make that list of everything that you're going to have to do, right? And then take that list and see if there's anything you can do to improve your outcome. Well, you know, I could take a roommate on. Maybe maybe I don't have to more, you know, sell the house or something like that. You know, go through those items and be like, how can I improve my situation on these alternatives? And then you pick the ones the that's the best. If we If this negotiation derails... If I can't move through with this, what's the best case scenario that I'll be able to affect for myself? And then that's what you put in your noggin when you go in there to have your, you know, job offer negotiation. If, you know, that's that one thing. So you've had that whole list of stuff and then you remove that noise and take the best alternative, right? That best alternative to negotiate agreement. If this doesn't happen, this is what will happen. And that'll help clarify your decision making in that moment. Right. So that takes us through stage one, the preparation stage. Stage two is about exchanging information. This is when you start doing some really active listening with the other party. Uh, You know, from the employer's standpoint, you would really want to try to figure out what seems to be really important to this person. Maybe the person is at a point in their career where salary is absolutely the most important thing, you know, bar none. Or maybe that employee, that prospective employee is at a point in his or her career where other aspects, maybe some flexibility, maybe uh, job security, maybe certain benefits, maybe those types of things are more important. Uh, you know, and from the job seeker's perspective, you also want to be listening to your employer, you, you know, and take into consideration what's going on with that employer. What kind of, what size of the organization are they, right? Um, what could they potentially afford? What's common for that um, type of um, uh, industry and sector? Uh, this is where you're going to be asking a lot of questions to try to figure out what is even in the realm of possibility and trying to determine what are the specific values on either side. Yeah, I like to think about values and interest. Oh, do you va- this is more about money. So then I can have, since you can't pay as much, I can have some maybe more flexibility with work for home or interest. You know, I'm not so interested in salary. I'm interested in gaining this experience because of how I want to 
change my job trajectory. Maybe I want to shift industry um, or roles, you know, that I might be exploring and really take the time to get to know the values and interests of the person sitting across for you, either the job seeker or the organization. Now, this is where you can start to tell where there's a difference between their lived values and their espoused values. And so one of the ways in which you look at that, and I always think of this in light of the budgetary process, you know, senior manager talks to manager. I want the most work for the least amount of money. What can you give me? And then the, you know, junior manager is like, well, well, I want the most money for the least amount of work. What can you give me? Do you see how nobody's focused because they're focused so much on a number or some kind of, you know, surface piece they really don't understand the values and interests. And neither one of them is thinking about the values and interests in the company. They're just focused on a number or something. Now, if that's a number that they just have to hit no matter what, well, you can make the pie bigger by looking at larger things, more time off, you know, these, these kinds of things. Um, how an employer approaches you with this thing is going to tell you a lot about how they think about individuals that work for that organization. You also want to be looking at this with the long-term perspective, right? Instead of looking at it, hey, you know, I'm just trying to get the most out of this or something like that. You should be looking at it, at any kind of job offer situation as a situation in which you are, you know, not looking for a deal that leaves you in a bad spot. You know, you want to be able to do deals in the future. You want to come to a good agreement and uh, you're building a relationship here. This is, you probably have already been doing this maybe throughout the hiring process, uh, but this is really going to start to set the stage for what that, what that relationship is going to look like with your employer. And you want to do so in good faith. You want to do so, as you mentioned, with interests and values in mind. Right. So look, we're only through the preparation phase and exchanging information phase. We're technically not even negotiating yet according to how most people think about negotiations. And this is why we want you to broaden your mind. Negotiations is your preparation. It's how you exchange information, really trying to hear and understand the other person. Now we get to stage three, right? This is the third step. And this is what people traditionally think of as negotiation. Now you're going to stink. You're going to stink like a fish wharf if you hadn't done the first two steps uh, getting in here, right? <laughs> so bargaining is this phase. And this is, you know, right, the core part of the negotiation. This is where you present offers and counter offers and probably where, so if you're a kind of person that gets stressed out and anxious, hey, just relax and take more time on the first step getting ready. But this is where people generally have that little bit of spike in anxiety is at this part of the conversation. Sure. And with good reason, because this is the first time when you're actually starting to say numbers and starting to get a sense for some some real uh, details around the potential um, offer uh, mechanics here. You know, one one thing that I oftentimes hear from people is that, you know, well, the first person to say a number in a negotiation will lose. I, that's not true. <laughs> I don't know what where that comes from necessarily. Um, you know, it, sometimes people say, "Well, you got to make the make them, you know, offer something." Well, maybe, but you also uh, what what that first number does do is that it creates a, a psychological anchor, right? Because anything that comes after it is going to be either higher or lower than it. So, you know, if you come in with something that's 
um, fairly high, and then they come back with something that's a little bit lower. You know, you've already you're already starting to kind of uh, set the psychological parameters for what might be possible here. Now, I would not advocate going into one of these situations. Let's say you you do end up as the job uh, candidates being the one who has to put forward a number for some reason. I would not advocate you know throwing out a number that is outrageous. Just, you don't want to go there. It, it comes off as uh, uneducated because it probably reflects that you didn't do your homework and figure out what this job is even worth in the market. It, it also can come off as just being entitled. And I, I think coming up with something that is probably a little bit higher than median is is a decent way to think about it usually. I'm so glad you brought up that anchor piece because what I found in observing gobs and gobs and gobs of these negotiations and coaching executives on how to walk through all this stuff and in generally any negotiation is people feel powerless. They, okay, so they prepped, they've exchanged interests and values. They don't, they can't read the mind of the person across. So one of the ways in which to psychologically trick themselves that they have some kind of control over what's going, it's, you know, kind of like dating. I hope she likes me. I hope she likes me. I hope she likes me. I hope she, right? You're just, you're just <laughs> like all your little, if you had, any kind of telepathic power, it would be shooting out of your brain. You're just trying to will something, an outcome that you want to be so. But that's not how this stuff works. And so by keeping information to themselves, they feel like they have power. I know something this other person doesn't know. But what we know from all the research and literature is that people that put out their number first generally tend to be closer to their number unless there's some really contravening, constraining thing. And another benefit from saying your number first. Now, and if you've done all your information, you should be standing on good, solid ground on this stuff, is that it shows vulnerability that helps the other person drop their, you know, their shoulders can relax. They can drop their guard and say, wow, this person's being really vulnerable. So if somebody says, hey, so what are you looking at making? I say, well, this is a time where you can say, well, based on that you had this interest and this interest and the values that you communicated from the organization and the stuff that was said in my interviews, right? That's what we're talking about here. And based on my interests and my values and the things that I disclosed and the research I've done in the industry, I was looking for 70K for this role, plus somewhere between three to five weeks of vacation, growing to eight weeks of vacation after three years. Something like that. Just say, how do you feel about that? At that point, they feel totally comfortable. You've laid most of your cards out on the deck. Now, they may be scandalized, right? You know, what? This just, <laughs> you know, but you've already prepped the stuff and you say, hey, I can see you're kind of bothered by this. Maybe you could share some of your perspective. And then you are collaboratively working there, not to see who can win. Because, right, you don't want that mentality, that culture that I'm beating you. No, I got, dude, you'll never guess how cheap I got this executive, you know, this VP of finance for. <laughs> like, right, that is not the kind, that's the land of the dark elves. You don't want to go there. But they may be disturbed. But if you open your stuff up, they may open up first. That's fine. You can shift and do the mix. But now you have it all out on the table and you guys can start working together. Because if they honestly can't meet you there, it might not be the role for you. 
So that's all very well said. And it was so well said that I decided not to fire you and make you try to get back your job here because we're around that point in the episode. So sorry, listeners, even though I promised to fire Chris at some point. First of all, I don't have the power to do that because we are both co-hosts of this podcast. But anyway, um, you know, there are, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's important for us also just to talk about some nuts and bolts here around what kinds of things, you know, you potentially could be talking about in a in, in this bargaining phase. So obviously you're going to be talking about base salary, depending on the nature of the role, the industry, the organization, you might be also talking about um, the possibility of, you know, some sort of commission structure. If you're in sales, that's more common. Uh, it, you may also be talking about things like your starting date. You may also be talking about, of course, your different benefit packages, uh, the retirement. You might be talking about um, time off. You mentioned all of these things go into that bargaining phase and you don't want to necessarily, you know, discount some of those, right? You want to make sure that you're considering the whole picture, uh, both as the the job candidate and as the organization. You might be even talking also about, um, you know, some, some organizations offer starting bonuses even, right? You maybe are talking about uh, moving expenses, um, those types of items. So think about the, the big picture and that this is where you're going to be going back and forth. And again, your success in this bargaining phase depends upon the foundation that you built during those first two stages of preparation and exchanging information. That leads us to the fourth stage, which is closing and commitment. This is where you're going to formalize the agreement. Uh, usually what happens is that this comes in form of a written offer that, you know, basically everything's already been ironed out <laughs> verbally. You have it all figured out. Um, you know, maybe there'll be some adjustments after it's in written format, but usually not a whole lot. Then you have a written offer. Maybe if you're a top executive at say a nonprofit or, um, a top executive somewhere else, maybe there's going to be some sort of employment contract. And this is where you're going to get some signatures. You're going to all be on the same page in terms of what the outcome is. Yeah. Two things I want to add to the bargaining phase though. Cause yeah, I mean, the closing and commitment phase, that's your housekeeping Walk through that. Talk to your friends' network. Listen to this podcast again. You can walk through those things pretty thing, pretty easily. But, you know, there's this story about two sisters, and they both bounce into the kitchen, and they want an orange. And there's only one left. Now, a lot of people would be like, okay, I'll cut it in half, and then you pick the side. Because that, that ensures that the other person tries to cut it as fairly as possible, and the other person picks. But, you know, hey, I want that orange. I won't, want... I want that orange, right? And so they cut it in half and they both go on their separate ways. One grates the peel to make a cheesecake. They just needed the zest, the orange zest, and throws the flesh of the orange in the trash. The other one eats the half of the orange and's bummed out she didn't get a whole orange. Now, because they didn't understand each other's like value, what they value and stuff there, they both missed the boat, right? And And so don't, don't when you're going for the flesh of the orange and they're going for the peel, you guys can lots of times meet those kinds of pieces. Now, and this one's a little bit controversial, but if you still think there's really value in this role and it seems like maybe you just can't get there, sometimes I'll reveal my batna. I'll say, hey, listen, I think I'm super interested in this org. I think I can hit a home run, but let me let you know, you know, this is why I can't take it. You know, if it looks mm -hmm. like everything's about to close shop and and be done, it's like, hey, I think there's still a lot of value. But let me show you what my alternative to us negotiating this agreement. 
I'm making 20,000 more. I have twice the amount of vacation. So before we close up, are we sure we want to leave this? You know, and that's just like that one attempt to, maybe they were keeping some stuff back because they didn't know the negotiation process. And sometimes showing your BATNA and then giving them a little bit of time to think about it might salvage something that might totally derail. But I'd wait to reveal that BATNA till it's you're at the very closing closing piece of the negotiation where you're both about to go your own ways. So let's move now to talking about some additional guidance for people and for hiring teams. And we'll start maybe with the perspective of the job candidate. And there's this uh, good Harvard Business Review article that we'll post a link to in the show notes called 15 Rules for Negotiating a Job Offer. Now, some of these apply also to the hiring team perspective. Um, not all of them. And we'll we'll kind of talk about that as we go through them. But let's let's move through some of these really good tips. Um, he calls them rules in the article. And the first one is don't underestimate the importance of likability. It's It means a lot during the whole process to be professional and cordial and gracious during the whole thing, um, because that's just going to, I mean, it, it's, it's a, uh, a social lubricant, if you will. It helps things move along if you believe that the other person is, uh, you know, has your best interest in mind and that you have some uh, likability there. Yeah. So, and I see this in like, in the IT world, right? A lot of people, te more technical jobs, they're focusing, focusing on how can I show that I'm so competent? And they come in there and they, they look like an automaton. And if you're nervous going into a job interview, like the easiest thing you don't have to practice should be just being nice. Yeah. You know, you come in, you meet the reception. You know, I know some CEOs and that will talk about, talk to the receptionist and say, how was this person? Right. Oh, that guy was, you should see how he talks to his wife on the cell phone, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. Like some of those kind of things, be nice to the, the doorman at the, at the elevator, to the secretary, smile, focus. Like, I'm just going to be a nice person to where like, this person knows nothing about the job, but I want to hire them just because they're fun to be around that you, we know bias works, right? Bias happens in everybody's life. Be it to where the biases are working in your favor. You're just a doggone nice person. Well, one thing that the author points out in this article about this rule of don't underestimate the importance of likability is that, you know, people are more likely to fight for you if they like you. And when you're working with a hiring team, a hiring manager on specifics of salary and benefits, uh, oftentimes they don't have the final say on those items. So they have to, if you counter offer or throw something out there that's beyond what they originally were thinking, they have to then go and talk to somebody else. And if they really think, man, I, this person is awesome. They're competent. I like them. They're going to do more to fight for your case. And, you know, the success of the negotiation might depend upon that. Another a couple other points on this one that I think are important is it's not just about being polite. It's a little bit more than that. It's about trying to manage those tensions in the negotiation, uh, you know, pushing back when you need to without seeming petty, right? Having reasons for why you're saying certain things, being persistent without being a nuisance. And this can really be a helpful approach right at the outset for any negotiation. Right. So just 
be a nice person. You should do, that should be your default mode. So you don't even have to worry about that advice, right? <laughs> so the second thing is help them understand why you deserve what you're requesting. So when you're in that phase where you're discussing, you know, information, right? Values, interests, right? You know, talk about how you think about how you think about what they should be paid, you know? Based on, you know, Glassdoor.com and talking to six of my peers in similar roles in the same kind of market, you know, those kinds of things, you know, based on the industry standards, three weeks of vacation for this role. So I, there'd have to be a compelling reason for it not to be that way at this organization. It's hard. You're, oh, in sales, we call this overcoming objections by revealing how you're thinking about offers. It, stops them from bringing those um, objections to you during that process. They're like, oh, I can't say that because, man, three weeks is a standard. Right. So one of the big ideas here is if you're going to make some sort of demand in terms of salary or benefits or anything else, there should be some justification for it. Don't just make these things up. And the justification shouldn't be just well, I deserve more. (laughs) It should be something around this is what the industry pays. This is what your competitors are offering, uh, or, you know, I need a flexible arrangement because guess what? I'm a single parent and I need to be home to pick up from the bus on Fridays or something like that. Those types of items can be very helpful in providing, you know, a, a thoughtful type of approach toward the negotiation. Number three, the third rule, make it clear they can get you. You, you want to have the outcome be, hey, look, we're, let's let's make this happen and let's figure it out. One thing that I say when I'm negotiating these types of items um, with uh, prospective employees, um, as I've had to do a couple of times, is look, as I say things like, hey, look, we, we're, we're offering you a job because we, we really, really like you, and I'm confident we can come to some sort of good deal here. Let's work towards that. And I, I think that that sets a nice foundation for the rest of the conversation. Yeah. And when you go into an interview, forget the offer phase, because lots of times you'll interview with the team or your hiring manager, and then they kick you over to somebody in HR who does a salary piece and benefits and time off, all that kind of stuff. So in that that movie with Glenn Close, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? Alec Baldwin does Coffee for Closers. And we'll put we'll put this in the show notes. Coffee's for Closers, ABC, always be closing. So if you go into that interview, And you meet with that team at the interview phase before you go meet with HR. If they decide to send you an offer, say, let's negotiate an offer. At the end of that interview, if you know you want to work there, you should say, hey, listen, I just want to say thank you for today. Everybody I met was awesome. Based on my understanding of the role, I would accept this job if offered it. Close. You know, you're selling yourself at that that point. Close it. I would take this job. Now, when you go to the HR people and the finance people and all that stuff to say, like, listen, if we can get something that's at a market rate, I will accept this job. That are, that puts to sleep all these worries about, oh, is he going to go take this offer and shop it somewhere else? You know, be enthusiastic about how excited you're to start you are to start working for that organization. Yeah, I was once working with an executive recruiter. Uh, this is when I was getting off of active duty from the military. And there some of those folks work exclusively with uh, folks who are coming out of the military. And uh, it was funny. He was giving a bunch of advice to to some of us and saying, look, if you get offered a job, like 
they're basically telling you that they love you. Like act excited when when they do that. And you know, no one wants to throw that I love you out there and not get one back. And so, you know, it, it helps if you kind of can return that. So make it clear they can get you. Number four is understand the person across the table. This goes back to what we were talking about with regard to exchanging information, understanding the values and interests uh, that are really going through their minds. And, you know, it, it's their people too. And they're trying to get somebody onto their team. They have certain priorities and things they're trying to get out of it. So really do a good job in that information exchange phase. And I think you'll do a good job with number four. Yeah. And if they seem nervous, put them at ease. Say, hey, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. I feel really comfortable having this chat. You know, those kinds of things. And and you're going to feel at ease because you have practiced with your friends. You know, we haven't talked about rehearsals, but you should do some rehearsals with sure. some friends if you can. But you know the steps of negotiation and you can walk them through it, right? And which brings us to another one is understand their constraints. Like if they literally cannot go over $50,000, quit punching them in the face for 60000 You just <laughs> knock it off, man. Right. And some organizations, you know, depending on their size, depending on their sector or what they do, they may have more or less latitude when it comes to everything related to, you know, salary and benefits. So understand their constraints. Uh, and, and don't try to, as you said, you know, punch them in the face for 60K if, if all they can offer is 50 Number six is be prepared for tough questions. You know, you might get asked as the job candidate, you know, do you have any other offers? If we offer you something tomorrow, would you say yes? Are we your top choice? Those types of things uh, might get asked and you should have a good response for them. Yeah. And if you're an org, if you ask really tough questions, be ready for some lies. <laughs> you you might have pushed them into the corner. Like, what right. do you mean? Do I have other offers? Or you know, are you interested in an opportunity right now? Everybody's interested in an opportunity. Hey, listen, you can work half the time for five times the pay and you decide what you want to do. Who wouldn't take that? You know, so like be pragmatic on both sides of these items. Now, that being said, it's like, hey, do you have any other offers? And it's like, well, I am looking at this role and I won't be able to be ready to give a decision for three weeks once I finish this process because I want to be able to. But currently you're my top choice or something like you can do some of those things. Right. I would say that as a job candidate or as a hiring team that's trying to bring somebody on in any negotiation, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. There are a variety of reasons why you shouldn't lie. One of them being that it could come back to haunt you later in terms of damaged relationships or other types of repercussions. The other reason is that it's just an unethical thing to do and it's, it's wrong. So don't lie when you're going through these, these types of uh, conversations. If someone asks you a question, you don't really know the answer to tell them you don't really know the answer to it and come up with something or maybe get back to them. Uh, because that's, that's really fundamental to having a good negotiation. A good laugh helps dispel some of that angst. Do you, <laughs> do you have any other offers? You know, I just laugh and be like, <laughs> well, I mean, you guys really want me. Do you think you'd be the only ones that would really want me? And <laughs> and then you can kind of, you know, it's a good time to show how emotionally intelligent you are, right? Sure. In navigating some of those social situations. So, but yeah, don't lie. Another thing is focus on the questioner's intent, not the question. Sometimes a question, if you take it at face value, can be so offensive and off-putting. Like what you 
kind of place is this, right? Sometimes these jack wagons ask illegal questions like, so do you go to church? That was a common one in the South uh, when I lived. Um, oh, do you have any kids? And, you know, like the interviewer may pull out the picture. Like those actually aren't acceptable questions, right? Uh, from a legal perspective, there's some hazard there for some of this stuff. But if you're focusing on the tent, oh, look, this guy's really just trying to relate because he's uncomfortable. Be looking at what the intent is. Now, if you can't read minds, then just ask. You're like, okay, I heard you ask this. What are you trying to discover with that question? You know, you can shift to a discovery of intentions rather than focusing on that surface question. Yeah. So, for example, during the job nego offer negotiation phase, you know, if they ask something about, do you have any other offers? Um, you know, they may not actually care that you have other offers or not, but they might actually be trying to, they're not trying to see whether or not you like have no BATNA or something. They might actually be just trying to figure out, you know, what is your approach towards your job search? Like what, you know, it, it, do, the, do we even have a chance of getting you? Um, you know, may, if you're in a situation where maybe you were a passive candidate, meaning that you weren't actively looking for work, you had a great job and, you know, one uh, organization found you either through a recruiter or some other way. Um, and they say, do you have any other job offers? You know, that's where you say, no, I'm actually doing pretty well in my current job. This seems like a really interesting opportunity, however. And so, no, I don't have other job offers. I'm focused on this, uh, this opportunity because it came to me. And that's a perfectly fine way to answer that. So like you said, focus on the intent, not necessarily the question itself. Uh, number eight is consider the whole deal. Now, we talked about this a little bit already, but it's not just about base salary. It also includes all kinds of other factors. You know, what your team situation is going to be like. Uh, the culture of the organization matters a lot. Um, things related to your benefits and so forth. Yeah, a lot of people get nervous around this stuff because it's that whole keeping information to myself and trying to be cagey and get one over on the other side. Drop that stuff. If you have a moral compass of integrity, you can be really open and honest about who you are and where you are. And that's if you do take that role, that reputation is going to precede you into the organization, precede you into the organization and your teams and those kinds of things. You don't have to guess every little thing or be trying to optimize all this stuff in your brain because you can just react based on who you are. Now, when it comes to negotiation, number nine is negotiate multiple issues simultaneously, not serially. Now, all right, I want this orange. I want that orange. Okay, we'll cut it in half. Well, if they had looked holistically at what they were looking for, they could have both had what they want. And if you say that everything's on the table, you have a lot of levers you can push up and down in getting to a good win-win scenario for both sides rather than now let's negotiate benefits. Now let's negotiate salary. Now you miss that holistic opportunity of seeing the whole picture and actually getting someplace better. Sure. And, and the whole idea here is that you're considering the, the big picture and all of the different items at play, because you know, like, like you said, if you just try to do one at a time, it could interfere with how other aspects of the deal come into play. Another one, another rule mentioned in this article is don't negotiate just to negotiate. You know, it's not your job in a job ne offer negotiation to just try to get one over on the other people or to prove that you're good at this or 
to try to, um, you know, to just make a statement. Uh, it, it's, it's really not helpful. Um, you don't need to go crazy with every bargaining um, situation that you're in. Yeah, I saw a bunch of that when I lived in the South. Um, guys would just trade trucks and guns and knives and weird stuff and because they just love to haggle. So go <laughs> go get a hobby and go to like the you know model train convention and trade model trains. Don't beat people up when it comes to job salary negotiations, <laughs> right? And so number 11, think through the timing of offers, right? So, you know, timing's so important. So if you got multiple jobs, be prepared for somebody saying, hey, listen, we need a decision from you in 48 hours because we don't want to lose another candidate. Uh, this happens a lot in the technology roles that I coach. You know, if you're a premier .NET developer or maybe you're an expert on Cisco firewalls or something, people want you. And you may have to, you know, now if you're in that high high demand role, a lot of the people that recruit you will be familiar with that. But just be ready to time out those kinds of things. You might win the better one just because of an unfortunate timing event. Sure, sure. So the timing is important. You may want to play with trying to slow down or speed up certain aspects of the process if you can as the job candidate. Number 12 is avoid, ignore, or downplay ultimatums of any kind, right? No one likes being backed into a corner, being told, hey, do this or else. So don't do that to others in a negotiation. I, say, I think this would go both ways from the perspective of the employer, as well as from the perspective of the potential um, employee. Uh, because when we do that, we, we, you know, it just rubs people the wrong way. It comes off kind of ugly, when you when you kind of go bare knuckle into these types of things. Yeah, this is like judo. And judo, it's the smaller person wins because they have strength through yielding. And when you're just open and honest with who you are, you actually win without being the big bully here. Mm -hmm. Now, number 13, go ahead, Ben. Right. So, I mean, just like going back to that number 12, uh, you know, it one way to think about this is, you know, if you do encounter some sort of ultimatum, Someone's saying, you know, this is, you know, the only thing I'm going to do or we will never do this. Um, that's where you can say, I, I understand how this may be difficult for you, uh, you know, given where we are. Let's talk about X, Y or Z. And maybe that's where you move more towards values and interests and you move to some other parts of the negotiation. So you don't try to, you know, back anyone into the corner. Right. Which leads us into 13. Remember, they're not out to get you. Now, sometimes they are, but you know how to deal with that. But if you go in there with that cognitive bias that these people are out to get me, I better put up, I'm not going to show them my interests or tell them anything. That's going to derail things before you even get anywhere. Right. Number 14 is stay at the table, which is about, you know, remembering that what's maybe not negoti negotiable right now might be negotiable down the road. Uh, you know, sometimes interests and constraints for any job they kind of change. Organizations change. And, you know, so when someone says no, what they're oftentimes saying is, you know, given how things are right now, it's a no. Um, now, later on, it might be something that 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 is on the table. So, for example, you know, maybe there's going to be opportunities to increase your salary down the road. Um, and keep that in mind, right? Play the long game here 
And uh, remember that negotiation can be an ongoing thing, and it really should be as you navigate through your career, even if you're not necessarily changing jobs per se. Yeah. And the last one for individuals is maintain a sense of perspective, right? So industry, where you're going, all of these pieces, no single job offer is the be all end all of everything, you know, and just know that you get other at bats. There's no just one time and then up. Oh, I didn't get that role. My life is over. I'll, you know, <laughs> I might as well just go get in line at the soup kitchen or something. You know, that's not how these things should be viewed. Sure. So let's talk a little bit now as we start to move towards wrapping up with uh, some advice for and guidelines, additional guidance for employers. So I think, first of all, some of the similar rules to what we talked about already, uh, some of those do apply. I think you still should maintain some perspective. You should avoid issuing ultimatums as an employer. Uh, But there are a few other things. And I think the first one is, you know, values and ethics are really, really important. And you've got some stories to tell here. Well, yeah, even so, let's say this person decides not to accept the role. They're going to go tell other people what the application process was like like, and how you are as an organization. So, you know, you must lead with values and ethics. So an example here was I know they spent a long time, like eight months, looking for this certain technical, this one company that I was consulting for, this one technical role, eight months of a lot of recruiter time. And they got somebody that happened to have grown up in a smaller organization where they developed all the skills just organically as that organization grows, uh, grew. And they were making like 70000 a year or something. Now, the role, the salary role for this was like 130 to 150 mm-hmm. And so they say, well, what did you make at your previous place of employment? Which some states it's illegal to ask, you know, is my understanding, that kind of question. This state, it was not. And he said, well, I, I made 70K. They made him an offer at 80. He was so excited. And then he gets on the team and finds out everybody's making close to twice of what he's making. Oof. So he's, he's stuck around for six months and then found another role and left. And that eight months of recruitment for somebody who everybody on the team loved, he was killing it in his job. His boss loved him. Everybody liked him. And they lost him because... They didn't have the value or integrity to pay this person what he was worth and what a market value was. And it was that stinking thinking of how how low can I get you? Can I get the most work for no money? And I remember the recruiter bragged, and that was something we worked on with their values and ethics as an organization, with their HR department, the recruitment, and all that kind of stuff. Pay people what they're worth. Make sure that you're conducting yourself. Think how would you feel if you found out Oh, I was excited about this job, but through no fault of my own, I was underpaid by, you know, $70,000. If that place is mud to you, and honestly, I think that was a moral failing of that organization going in. Sure. Another thing that organizations need to do is, you know, a hiring team uh, needs to do its homework. People need to understand what you can offer, what standard for the position, the industry, the experience level that this person's at. Um, And then also, you know, think about, you know, your business cycle, you know, different parts of your workforce might have some different options here. Um, But above all, you know, being cordial, professional and ethical throughout the entire process uh, is is certainly the way to go. Yeah, business cycle issues. Like right now, employees can demand more. 
you sure. should have that into your pricing and strategy. That being said, if you're in a growth business cycle, you can lose key talent if you don't give them, and we see some organizations do this. Hey, all our .NET developers are getting a bump of this much because we want to be paying at industry levels. Don't wait. Because sometimes you'll have employees. You hear this all the time. Well, I asked for a raise. No. You know, a year goes by. Excellent reviews. I asked for a raise again. No. And then I get another job. I take it. And then they want to come say, oh, no, no. Oh, don't leave. We'll give you that money. You know, like, hey, jerk. Where were you the last two times I asked for this? There's no way. Matter of fact, you could pay me 10000 more than the other offer. And I don't want to work with you because you don't take care of your people. And so business cycles, you see organizations that were underpaying these people despite the you know pandemic and, and their surge in demand for workers right now, they're underpaying them anyway. And these people got better offers and they want to stay in that old mentality and stinking thinking. We know business cycles happen every seven to 12 years-ish. Make sure that your workforce strategy and your pay is resilient to those kind of factors. Otherwise, you'll lose people. And it's not that you just lose them and you have to go hire them again. You lose key institutional knowledge and relationships that are of more value to you than the raw stuff that you pay those guys. This is a time for HR people to put on their strategy hat and hop out of the technical you know, job offers, salaries, budgets, and really be able to inform managers and C-suite executives on these are the, I'm concerned about our business cycle resiliency of our workforce. And this is what it might need to look like from a pay perspective. What do you think? Right, right. You know, I think when you, you know, go into any type of job negotiation, job offer negotiation for both parties, and this does include the employer, you know, having a good deal as the outcome really should be your focus. And this might involve you needing to be creative and this is where you really need to do that good listening and figure out what the values and interests are of the job candidate uh, so that you can create those those different outcomes and, and try to achieve that win-win. Right. Being creative on what's important to that job candidate, focus on that, right? Make sure that they get what's really important to them. And then pay enough people that they won't be thinking about their pay all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, I, yeah I, mean... I, I coached a dear friend of mine. Now she works a minimum wage job and, you know, you know, coached her into getting a slightly above minimum wage job. And then the pandemic happened and she got laid off and like, she, she is not bad with her money. You know, she keeps, you know, detailed tracks of her budget. She doesn't have a stupid car. You know, she, the discount cell phone, like she is on it as far as responsibility, but honestly, her capabilities are around a, a junior employer level. Like she will probably, that's just kind of where she's at based on her, you know, key talent, skills, and abilities. Now she had to go. So she finally got now with all this demand, she got a role that was even a little bit better than the last one. But based on the cost of living increase in Nashville, she had to get on food stamps. And so I remember coaching her on negotiating, go to her, you know, employer and say, listen, here's my budget here. You're not going to be able to find anybody that can do it for less. And the housing is making it to where I'm having to get on food stamps. Now, is that where this organization wants to be? 
where the people that they have working for them also have to have food stamps. Yeah. And and they came back to her three weeks later. And not only did they, they backdated her pay. Wow. And got her the pay that she needs. So this is a time where like, hey, maybe that wasn't on the table for negotiation. Her BATNA was bad. You know, she's about to lose her apartment and having nowhere else to go, you know, because of uh, housing affordability is bad in Nashville right now. She negotiated from a place and just had to be honest, like, guys, look, I'm on food stamps. I'm at the bottom rung. You guys have I've been here like three months now and I'm doing a good job, but I got to be on food stamps and literally fine. Fire me. I'll have to go out and just be on food stamps and government housing. But what do you want to be as a company? I mean, this was just a case where no BATNA, like literally the BATNA is I'm homeless if I don't win this negotiation. But I have to sit here and ask, like, I shouldn't be on food stamps as somebody who's working hard for you. So I think the big point here is that you should be cognizant of what your people are going through and pay them enough so they're not always thinking about pay because that's going to free them up to be the, the, the flourishing employee that you need them to be. We've talked a lot about kind of external equity, making sure that you're paying uh, people that is aligned with the market, with the industry. It's also important to think about internal equity and kind of the psychology of how people think about equity, because what we oftentimes do is that we compare ourselves to what we call a referent other. Now, that other person could be uh, your buddy who works in another department. It could be your friend who works at another organization in a similar role. It could be even be an idealized version of yourself that you're comparing yourself to. Could be your spouse. Regardless, when we feel like we are being underpaid given our inputs to the job, right? How hard we're working, our experience, our skills, and what we're getting out of it relative to what other people are putting in and getting out of it, it motivates our behavior. It can motivate our behavior to either work less hard. It could motivate us to start looking for other jobs. It could motivate us to go ask for a raise, all those types of things. So employers, you've got to keep that in mind, that internal equity is is very important in addition to external equity, because it'll change how people perceive their work. It'll change how they are motivated in their jobs. Yeah. And watch out for hubris as an individual. You know, I live in Park City and generally the people that live in Park City that they done made it a long time ago. They, they've run laps <laughs> around the, hey, have you made it? Oh, yeah. Like 20 laps ago, I made it. And yet I'll see these jack wagons. Oh, he's got a newer Tesla than I've got. Now, this is hubristic. <laughs> to the high, this is just the highest order of jack wagonry that you can find. And I remember talking with a guy um, here, and he was just really despondent. Somebody I've developed a bit of a relationship with. Well, you know, and I just don't feel like I've got. I'm like, dude, you you've made it. You know, if you look across globally, you've slaughtered it. But in the United States, you've made it. Some people in our country won't even be able to retire. Now, if money's real important, really important to you, and this person loves what they do for a job, if money's really important to you, well, let's start shifting your career here. Oh no, well, I really like what I'm doing. Well, yeah, you need to dial into like what my friend Mark Johnson does. He he graduated from um, St. John's College. He's a classics guy. He loves reading books. He looks amazing in a cardigan. He looks like he could have invented <laughs> the school and Dead Poets Society and Hogwarts both, you know? <laughs> he just looks impeccable. And you know what he likes doing? 
he likes teaching high schoolers about morals and ethics. And he's like, I don't care about all this money. I've got, you know, I'm taking good care of my family. You know, I live in a place that I actually can't afford a house as a teacher. And he is happy as a clam. Now, if I was like, hey, Mark, go talk to my buddy over here. He thinks you don't have enough to be happy. <laughs> I mean, my, Mark's going to laugh him out the gosh darn door. And yeah. so be aware about this comparison thing. You need yeah. to do an internal quest about where you want to go, who you want to be, what you want to accomplish, because the kinds of things that will feed your chimp and your human are different from everybody else. I hate chocolate ice cream. Why? I don't know. I'm just more a strawberry vanilla person, right? So, so well, this is the best chocolate ice cream in the world. I don't care. I don't want it. You need to plug into that individually. What kind of, you know, ice cream, the color of your parachute? I mean, people have been canning this a bunch of different ways. You need to discover for yourself who you want to be, what's important to you, and go for that. And the rest yeah, of the world, I, we, yeah. wait, wait, we, we need to clarify something, though. Do you really not like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, no, I, I don't like it. Oh, my God. You are fired. Okay, so today on the end of, <laughs> today on the end of Go podcast, we've talked about how to negotiate job offers. We've talked about some basic approaches towards negotiation, some stages of the negotiation process, and provided some additional guidance for people and hiring teams. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.